Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey, everyone, welcome to episode 66 of The Reclaim Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I am Jason Tucker, here with Jesse Skiffington. How are you doing, Jesse? Uh, doing pretty well today, Jason. Glad to be with you and uh, glad to get to be having another conversation. You know, we're we're kind of a, I don't know, are we podcast veterans now? I don't really know, but we've been having conversations for a little over a year and trying to figure out how do we continue to, to lead change on our own congregations, stay healthy, keep moving forward and, and all those things. And so just for me personally, I've really enjoyed getting to, to have these conversations with you and I'm really excited today because we're talking to a friend of ours from a number of years ago from our time in seminary and getting to kind of share in her journey a little bit, hear her perspective on, on church in the big city. And what strikes me, and you'll, you'll hear this as you listen today, is that some of the challenges, some of the things we face though we all have our different kind of communities that we're a part of or environments we're a part of, a lot of the challenges of, of the church are, are the same wherever you are. And um, so I can't wait to, to have Charlene speak to some of those, uh, those things today and glad that she was able to join us. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Charlene Han Pal is uh, again, a, a friend of ours and she's the executive pastor at fifth Avenue Presbyterian church in New York city, which is a uh, high profile church in the city. And I love it because she talks about, uh, administration. She talks about alignment, uh, organizational alignment, and uh, fulfilling the mission of the church, and talks a bit, kind of gets down into the nitty-gritty of ministry, membership, uh, a lot of things. We kind of cover a wide uh, range of topics um, in uh, today's podcast, so I'm excited to do that. Before we get into that, I just want to remind folks, uh, hey, if you're listening to this and uh, you think it'll help somebody else, please please share it. Share it with your friends and uh, and colleagues, and maybe you're listening and you have not yet subscribed, I want to encourage you to do that. If you go to our website, reclaimleader.com, you can subscribe right there. We even have a free PDF download for you about five proven strategies to help busy people get connected with scripture. And because uh, I don't know about you, Jesse, I only listen to podcasts that I subscribe to. So uh, <laughs> I want to encourage folks to subscribe us. And then if you get a minute to do it, please leave us a review on iTunes it helps our podcast get found. Um, other than that, we are thankful for our sponsor, Belay Solutions. Interestingly, uh, our topic of conversation today really lends itself to talking about Belay. It's about uh, you know, getting those administrative things off of our plate uh, so that we can focus on what fires us up, what yeah. we are passionate about, what we think is going to move the needle. Um, and so put it in the hands of people who are gifted at that. <laughs> That's right. But check them out, belaysolutions.com forward slash reclaim leader, and uh, get to learn more about hiring a virtual assistant to help you with those administrative tasks. Anything else I'm forgetting, Jesse, as we lead into our conversation today? I don't think so, Jason. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a new year. We're still waiting into the new year here in real time. And so, you know, we got we got to, you know, have a little grace for ourselves. Uh, you know, we're kind of all over the place sometimes, but glad <laughs> glad to be in the conversation with you. And uh, yeah, let's jump in and have a conversation with our, our good friend, Charlene. 
Well, hey, everyone, we are so excited to talk with Reverend Dr. Charlene Han Powell, who is the executive pastor at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. She has been there for a while now. She was the associate pastor for education and engagement for almost seven years, has been in her position now for what is it, one and a half years? Something like that? Something like that. Uh She is a mother of two daughters and wife to Jordan Powell, living in New York City, where dreams really can come true. And uh, that's right. And a really good friend, um, one of our seminary friends from Princeton Seminary. So I want to welcome to the podcast, Charlene. How are you doing? I'm good. It's good to be with you guys, to see your faces after... We were just discussing 10 years, a decade crazy. away from seminary. It is crazy. Yeah, it's just ministry. So tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, listen, you're at a high-profile Presbyterian church, and you are the executive pastor. How did how'd you get here? I mean, what? I mean, I know it's been a 10-year journey, but you've been at that church for a while, and how did you arrive in this position? So, I mean, gosh. <laughs> How do any of us arrive at any <laughs> position? Um, it's a combination of, you know, for the for the sake of this podcast, I'll say prayer and the spirit leading. Um, but the reality is, is a lot of providence. Um, I am from the West Coast. So, Jesse, we would have been neighbors. Um, so I moved to New York after undergrad. I grew up in California and um, took a gap year after undergrad before starting seminary and just wanted to be in New York City. I was a dance minor, so I was studying dance. I was waitressing, just needed to do something, not school. Um, and it was during my time in New York that I fell in love with the city and visited Princeton and ended up going to Princeton. And while I was at Princeton, um, had completely pretty much given up on the church. Wasn't even sure um, that I wanted to go into any form of ministry, let alone parish ministry while I was at seminary. Jason, you are um, all too aware of my my story throughout seminary, um, but found this church um, to do an internship at because it gave me an excuse to be in the city and kind of get away from the, um, just the you know, the insular nature of seminary. So found this church in the city that was kind of very um, different than the church I grew up going to. So it was much more progressive theologically and traditional liturgically. So I was completely out of my depth, um, but got involved in their 20s and 30s something ministry, um, interning there for two years. Um, and kind of found my calling again to be a pastor while I was working at Fifth Ave. Um, then we all graduated, right, in 2009 when the job market was super <laughs> hot, right? Just jobs everywhere. You know, the economy was booming. People were doing, making crazy moves. Nothing was happening. Um, so after the financial crash, I mean, I don't I guess, you know, some people fared well. If you were flexible about where you could go, you fared well. I didn't. Um, So I uh, was working in an admin position for a year and got, uh, after a year of doing that, got called back to Fifth Ave to work in an interim capacity. That turned into an associate position. Um, And then recently had the opportunity with some space in the staff to explore this executive pastor model, which is, um, I think 
you know, more and more churches are, are trying it out. I highly recommend it. I think any shared power, shared leadership models are really, um, are really great. They're biblical. They are um, sustainable uh, ministry practices. Um, and so I've been doing that for two years. So it was, it was, look, it, it was a great thing for me because I didn't have to uproot my family to do something new um, and got to stay with a community and church that I love. Um, but it's also hard kind of reimagining yourself within a community that has seen you as one thing for seven years. And so it's been an interesting, exciting, fun, challenging two years. That's, that's awesome. Can you unpack a little bit? So for those who maybe aren't familiar with uh, executive pastor and what that role is, what, what is that role like where you are? Right. I think that was the key phrase there where you are. I think it's so different. Right. Um, I would say one, I've had a lot of people actually reach out to me about it, asking me about, you know, asking me for my job description or how we came up with the job responsibilities. And one of the first things um, that I say is that it is a position that has to be made in conversation with the senior pastor because you're complementing each other's skills, gifts, responsibilities. Um, but in my capacity, I basically oversee uh, the administration of the church. So everything from program to property. I've been in more audit committee meetings this past year. I've learned more about accounting and um, and spreadsheets and all of that and facilities, how to maintain a facility um, and, you know, bills, telephone bills, internet bills, paint, plaster, all that stuff, capital um, expenditures. Um, but I also oversee the, the program. So I kind of make sure that all the program um, represent the overall mission and vision of the church. So it's, it's so different than the associate pastor thing where I was creating products, creating classes, creating curriculum, um, teaching a lot. Now I'm kind of just overseeing a lot of that happening and then taking a step back, which has been an adjustment for me. So your job's about alignment, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Man, I need, I need one of yeah. you here. We need an aligner. <laughs> I need an aligner, Jason. Let's get. Yeah, I think you're on. You're right, Charlena. That there's a kind of people out there going noticing that there's that this is one of the great challenges in any organization, but especially churches. That a lot of a lot of times pastors' gifts and, and sort of wiring is is not for the administrative side, or mm-hmm. that sort of that stuff kind of collects on your desk over time, and all of a sudden you look up and you're going, "Wait a minute, I'm not." I'm not leading from my passion and vision and direction and big picture anymore. I'm, I'm stuck in the weeds. And so it sounds like part of your role or maybe the whole of your role really is taking some of that off of uh, your, your teammates plate and, and getting down into the weeds for them so that you guys can both maximize, you know, what you're doing for the, for the sake of the mission. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, and it sounds like it's also a pretty daunting challenge. Uh, to kind of have that much sort of breadth in your role. So nicely done. Sounds Thank like a you. fun adventure. I mean, I think what you're saying is interesting because I mean, you guys remember they don't teach us any of this stuff in seminary, right? I mean, it is unbelievable how unprepared for practical ministry you actually are when you go into the church, like how to create a budget, how to balance a budget, how to fundraise. Um, I mean, I don't 
I couldn't do the job of the director of facilities, but I helped I supervise him. I couldn't do the job of our director of finance, but I supervise him. And I think one of the weird things is this notion that that's not ministry. And that's something that I've struggled with myself because, you know, people ask me like, what do you do during the day? It looks very different than what I used to do two years ago, three years ago, what most people conceive of a pastor doing. Um, And so that's, that's required me to reframe my understanding and definition of ministry And I think seminaries need to be doing that. I think all pastors need to be doing that. Um, uh, Because like you said, Jesse, you know, it's a hard, it it seems it's often talked about as the stuff on our plate that we just like have to get through in order to do ministry. Um, And, and oftentimes it is, but I also think that it's at the same time ministry. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That I think what, what um, kind of what Jason and I, we spend a lot of time talking to folks who are struggling with various areas, you know, from, from whether it's managing staff, managing budgets, all these things that we didn't feel prepared to do when we came into ministry uh, or into the church or into leadership. And, uh, but the structure of the church, the organization behind it is so critical to the health of the ministry overall. Yeah. And we talk about all the time, a couple of quotes that we like, you know, one that I have on my wall. I don't remember who said it first, but I, I heard it from like the Andy Stanley world. The vision on the wall is only as good as the system down the hall. Hmm. And that it's, it's, it is, it's this, this partnership of organization and, and sort of, uh, and then sort of the, the, helping people get to know and follow Jesus part that, uh, that we would typically think of as the program of the life of the church, but that infrastructure is so crucial as the delivery mechanism for ministry. So yeah. it, it, it does go together. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of churches, you know, if we're honest, we tend to maybe staff up on the program side or what we yeah. you know, kind of, and then we wonder why maybe the growth isn't happening or it's not as yeah. healthy as we'd like, or we're frustrated. It's because we haven't, really taking the time to see the infrastructure as, as an equally important part of, of the life of the church. So I don't know, what's your experience, Jason, out there? In the well, church? it's just that, just that church administration is definitely about giftedness. It's not just a skill set that you acquire. And uh, only, I only know that, you know, like firsthand. Yes, it's absolutely a ministry. It's a ministry that requires gifts that I don't really have. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of pastors would say that, and so they're not very good at it. And therefore, you know, their churches really aren't going where they're hoping to go or they're not communicating well, or there is a lack of alignment. I mean, I, I remember leaving seminary and I was the solo pastor of this church. I go to my first session meeting and I have no idea what Robert's rules is. I, like no yeah. idea. Like nobody ever taught yeah. me that. I had no clue. And then they're like, you go to that so- class. Yeah, yeah, right. You skipped that day, didn't you? You guys were laughing in the chapel that day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guilty. But still, I was not, I was totally not prepared. And and any pastor would tell you that is ministry because it is it is using administration helps you get where you want to go. And you have to know how to navigate it uh, in order to facilitate uh, the ministry that, that you're hoping to do. Again, yes, both are ministries, absolutely. And to me, it comes down to giftedness. And so I think if pastor, pastors would just like admit, like, okay, that's not my gifting. And when you're hiring me to do this job, don't expect me to be the administrator and the primary preacher and the one dreaming up new programs and the one providing vision. Like nobody has all those gifts. And I, I, I think there's, there need to be more executive positions out there. 
Yeah. So Charlene, what has been uh, your biggest surprise now that you've gone into this role? You know, a lot of, I have some friends who are starting new positions in churches and yours is different. You've been there in a different role. What has that been like transitioning to this role? Is there anything that has kind of surprised you or things that you're working through as you're making that transition? I mean, the transition has been made, but in a lot of people's eyes, it's probably like they're still getting used to it. Um, you know, Yes. So the, the position is new and I'm, what I've seen and what I'm seeing in other churches is that um, more and more churches are promoting from within for this position. And so I think that for a lot of executive pastors out there, their experiences will be the same is how to reconfigure the relationships. Um, And, and, and that's, that's just hard. It's power dynamics, it's family systems, it's all of those different things. Um, and so I work with a, a coach and one of the things that we've been discussing is doing a check-in because we wrote a job description in the beginning and um, I would say it wasn't a contract, it was a, it's a guideline. And we're going to have to relook at that and see how we feel about it. But, um, you know, I have been blessed that the system was not was very eager for me to step into this role. So I actually took over, I supervised the others. We have four pastors, a senior, an executive, and two associates. Um, Prior to me taking on this position, the senior pastor uh, supervised all three associates or all three other pastors. In my new position, I now supervise all of the uh, remaining pastors, so two other pastors. Um, and that would have been an issue. It could have been an issue if they had, if they didn't want to be supervised by me, if they wanted to be supervised by, um, by the senior pastor. Um, but I have been very lucky and blessed that the whole system has, um, been eager for me to step into the role. That being said, um, there are still times when we're both in the room, my, the senior pastor and myself, and people are like, Oh, who do we, who do we look at? Who do we defer to? Um, and so it is a lot of just very intentional mapping out, um, and, and being mindful of where we're both going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's when just, it's a work in progress. I mean, like I said, I'm a year and a half to two years into this and we're still figuring out the bounds, um, of, of, you know, who goes where, whose responsibilities are over here and who's taking lead over there. Um, But yeah, I mean, and I think just a lot of the other things that we've already been talking about, just the administrative part of it has been in in a learning and um, just a, a process of, of really at the end of the week being like, okay, this was still ministry and reminding myself yeah. Um, the importance of those things, because at the end of an hour long conversation about audit, it doesn't necessarily feel like the spirit was like, you know, really moving. So I want to shift gears a little bit, Charlene, and talk a bit about ministry in the city, because I think, um, I know Tim Keller used to talk about this. It's like, it's sort of like the same thing that's happening out in the suburbs, but everybody's closer together. <laughs> and there's like a lot more bumping into each other, good, bad, and ugly, and a lot of figuring out. There seems like to be a higher intensity level, particularly figuring out how do you approach your programming to such a diverse um, 
congregation, spiritual formation, all those things in such a diverse community. How have you approached your, you know, offering programs, Bible studies, kind of traditional spiritual formation activities with such a diverse congregation? Um, So the short answer is that we've approached it in a million different ways um, and have, you know, one idea that worked amazingly 10 years ago is just not working anymore. Um, You know, I think the misconception is in, and, you know, Tim, what Tim Keller said is true. We are in such close proximity with each other um, as, a, as a city dwelling people. But, um, but for a church like Fifth Ave, actually, we are not a neighborhood church. So we have people commuting in from Jersey, Connecticut, um, all the boroughs. Um, so programming is, first and foremost, a huge challenge because we pretty much only have people um, like for, we pretty much have only, pe- only have people coming into the building for program on Sundays, So we can't do youth group on Tuesday night or Wednesday night. Um, like as the sticky church, you know, those books that model has talked about people have, you know, two pockets in their week for church. If that, if we're really, really lucky, right. Um, maybe one, and one is definitely going to be worship. Um, and so our approach to programming is is definitely has become, um, and this wasn't always the case, uh, but fewer is better. So we do really, really intentional, intense programming, um, and we just offer it less. So like in, I've seen, you know, at other churches, their adult education catalog is is honestly like the catalog of a community college. Ours has become maybe five key events a semester mm-hmm. that um, is either tying into something going on culturally, culturally like Black History Month or MLK Weekend, um, is responding to something that's happened in the news or um, ties in with our sermon series. So we don't preach lectionary. So a lot of our programming, um, most of our programming is in conversation with what's happening in worship because that's kind of the one unifying thing um, that we all have. Um, and we just have to be creative. So we have two, uh, two worshiping hours, 9.30 and 11. And so we shove a lot of our programming at the 9.30 hour in hopes that people will then grab a cup of coffee and then stay for the 11 o'clock worship service. Um, but nothing, none of it is easy. I mean, I think that especially in the beginning, one of our, one of my approaches um, was to try to do like really innovative, cool, trendy programming. And those always bombed. Like always. <laughs> it was insane. And I really like, you know, especially coming from an evangelical background, I was like, oh, like this like really cool hip pop culture stuff is just going to kill it. Um, but when we offer like really bread and butter, this is how you read the Bible. Um, this is what the Old Testament is. Um, let me tell you about the Trinity. People are really into that. Um, and so in terms of just spiritual formation and programming, and this is, I mean, I would definitely say this is an issue in the progressive church. It's just the fundamentals are not being taught. And so when, when we offer them, um, people are really into it. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because in a way it's not that much different than what I'm experiencing in the suburbs. You know, it's first of all, 
I can't assume of a basic Christianity, even in lifetime churchgoers. Right. And so what they're gravitating toward is really like basic theology, basic understanding of Jesus. I mean, that our most successful thing, things that we do are things that are like, uh, as you said, like, this is how you read your Bible. Yeah. This is how you pray. This yeah. is how you connect with God. And, and, they're like eating it up like they never heard it before. I'm like, I know you've heard this your whole life, but right. no. it's just, it's just how it's just the culture, the way that yeah. it is right now. Yeah. And, and doesn't that take the pressure off a little bit though? Right. All of a sudden, I mean, we've talked about, I'm sure you've heard this phrase out there, certainly too, you know, warm is the new cool. You don't have to be fancy. You don't have the hip thing. doesn't need a bit to really deliver some, some content and, and things to engage with that are what they're interested in. How do you yeah. find that out? And it's, it sounds like what you're saying and Jason, your experience and some of what we're learning here is that maybe some of the stuff we assumed people kind of generally got maybe was missed. And that's what yeah. they're, they're hungry for kind of getting back to some of those, those basics. And I think the hard part for us on, in the church staff world, and we find this more with, um, I don't know, maybe our music than anything else else, but we might get tired of putting that same thing out there over and over again. And it kind of gets stale for us as teachers and leaders. And so we want to do something maybe more dramatic or maybe a new song that we really love or something. But but people are there for, as Jason calls it, the mac and cheese and just give me something I can grab a hold of and know and, and, and sink my teeth into. So anyway, um, who knew in the big city that, you know, that's the kind of thing that they're drawn to, right? Uh, But I think what you say is right. It is freeing. And I think it's a good reminder for us. I mean, I'm not trying to dog on seminary here, but also not something that they're really (laughs) big on and preparing you for in seminary because we are, and as they should be, we're wrestling through really complicated theological concepts. Um, And then we get to our churches and they're like, no, no, just, just tell me the order of, the books of the Bible. Like, That's right. <laughs> you know, like I don't need to know about the sources and all of this stuff. Um, and I mean, yes, I think, yeah. I think this is happening everywhere, but especially in the city where there's, yeah, like you're saying, Jesse, um, there's cool stuff everywhere. Yeah. Right. Like more and more, if people are electing to go to church, it's because they want it to be church. If they want a really cool setting, they're not going to go to church for that. Like if they want amazing hip, like cutting edge rock music, they're not going to, that's not going to be at their church. We're not going to be the, like the leaders in that market. If they want a really awkward version of that, then they should come to church when we try it. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. But it is, it's a helpful reminder um, it's freeing. It's all of those things. And it's a hard thing to take hold of every year. We have to constantly at staff meetings be like, let's just focus on, I mean, this is our big tagline. It's like, let's do good church. Hmm. And I mean, I mean, yeah, duh, like that doesn't seem like any kind of like revolutionary thing, but it, it, it definitely stops us in our tracks when we try to be, um, all these different versions of, of things. So no confetti canyon cannons in a no ship or no, anything yet. No, no, no t-shirt guns. No. <laughs> Love it. That's good. So, um, what 
What's really working for you guys right now? You know, is there something that you feel like you're really excited about going on at Fifth Ave? Something that's kind of getting some traction? Tell us about that. I mean, it's actually what Jesse just said, the whole um, warm is the new cool thing. Um, You know, I think that a historic church like Fifth Ave, which has been around for over two centuries, um, it has at many points in time been a church that you didn't, need to invite people to or tell people about because people were just flooding through our doors. Um, I mean, that's when, you know, church was the thing that you did on Sundays. Um, and then even when the church, the mainline was kind of starting to fade a little bit, um, we were just reviewing worship attendance numbers after 9-11. I mean, we experienced an, a huge um, explosion in attendance and participation. Our membership classes were in the hundreds. Like literally hundreds of people were signing up to join Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. And now, I mean, we're really excited if we have 15 people in our membership classes, right? Um, and so I, I, we hadn't updated our approach to that in light of the fact that culturally everything was changing, right? All the Pew studies are coming out about it. And, you know, like the big headline, the church is dying, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so kind of just the theme of the conversation was just going back to, to doing good church. Um, because what we used to do was we have these, you know, every church does it differently. Like if it's a friendship pad or whatever, we have these cards that you fill out and you drop off in the offering plate. And then, you know, probably within a day or two, a pastor would reach out to you and then tell you about our membership class. So like Jason or Jesse, you would come into church, fill out a card. I would call you, Hey, thank you so much for attending fifth Ave. Our next membership class is in two weeks. Like that to me is going from swiping right and to the altar in one fail swoop. Like that's, that's right. Like that's not how we do relationship anymore. Um, and so we've moved towards this, towards this model of being like, think like we're so glad you were in worship. Tell us your story. Mm-hmm. Do you want to have a cup of coffee? What are some questions you have about the Christian faith, the Presbyterian tradition, this church? What's your background? Um, and we really are in, investing in relationship. So that by the time you do get to that point of wanting to join, we know you because the old model actually was getting a few people to join the church, but we would never see them again. Yeah. They were kind of just like, wait, what am I, why am I here? What is this? And then there's there's nothing to hold them there. Yeah. So it sounds like your approach really is about pursuing a relationship and then having the outcome of that be whatever their engagement's going to be, which might include the membership class or yeah. something. I do think that's, that's an important conversation for all of us out there to be having about, yeah. are we just inviting people to sign up for something and get their name on the, the line? Like what is, what's going to cement or hold their connection into the right. life of the church. And I, you know, I think we can take a lot from that approach that reaching out with just an offer of a conversation instead yeah. of here's the five programs we want to maybe plug you into can yeah. go a lot further than signing someone up for something. Yeah. We were, we were, a lot of people were falling through the cracks that way. Yeah. Um, um, and not to say that it isn't still a challenge. I mean, less and less people just like numbers wise are filling out those cards. Less and less people are responding back to us when we reach out to them after they fill them. I mean, it is, man, it is a hustle. Um, but we're, we are seeing just a more cohesive community um, within a church that as big as Fifth Ave that has a ton of tourists coming every Sunday, 
there was a lot of anonymity before and that's yeah. just that's happening less and less people are staying the 20 minutes after worship and just staying in the the aisles of the pews um, of the sanctuary and catching up which to me is like that's when you know it's a good party right when people stay yeah so that's cool that's good it it's interesting because we've talked about a lot of the same things here that how do we slow down the membership process so that we get them to get to know each other better, to get to know the church better, to make more connections. And um, I think it's really important. Uh, can we get in the weeds a little bit? Like, how do you facilitate that? How do you, how does that work? Like kind of in your membership process. So, yeah. so they put the card in and uh, yes, I want a pastor or someone to reach out to me who reaches out to them that I created um, once I stepped into this role was the position sorry did you lose me yeah Yeah, can you can you uh, start that answer over because it just like froze up Um, so yeah actually it's not a pastor who reaches out to them it's now it's the director of engagement and that's a new position that I created once I stepped into this role membership used to live in this um, role and kind of in the job description of of all the pastors, but like you were talking about earlier, Jesse, it was like the, that eighth thing on our list that no one ever got to, or no one ever did well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really intentional about not naming the position director of membership. Cause like that kind of just, you know, you, you kind of like, you're just like, Hey, I'm your the director of membership. I wonder what that guy wants to talk to me about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's director of engagement. who's now reaching out to these people. Um, and then connecting them to other lay leaders, members, or staff who line up with something they have a question about or interested in, or is handling a lot of those conversations himself. And then um, when they finally get to that point where they are ready for membership, um, exactly like you said, uh, Jason, we're slowing down the process. So it used to be this like one, two punch, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You like come take a class, you join the next you know, either like that day, the next week, we made it way too easy for them. And it was so transactional. And I just feel like, and maybe this is just the tiger mom in me, but like, I just feel like if you don't have to work for it, it doesn't actually mean that much to you. And so um, it's now a three-part process. Um, actually, and not even a three-part process, maybe a six-part process. Three, like I would say, we call them seminars. It's these discussions. You almost treat each membership class like a small group. And they walk through this process together, three actual seminars. But then there are meals. Um, they all go to the senior pastor's house for wine and cheese. There has to be wine and cheese in order for it to be a fifth that thing. Um, a breakfast, just a lot of engagement um, so that when they stand in worship on membership Sunday, they're standing together as a cohesive unit. They really feel like they walk through a process. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've also added in that they can then continue as a community group or a small group after they've joined. Um, Whereas seriously before it was, you know, fill out the card, get a call, enroll in the class, take the class for two hours, join the church. Good luck. Yeah. Submit a pledge. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah right. Don't forget that part. Yeah, here's that's your a, pledge cards. Yeah. Here's <laughs> your yeah. 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 It's tough. And I think too, what, what I hear in this, and I, I think you guys are really onto something with, you know, up in the ante a little bit on this, yeah. in, on, on the commitment level, but also just kind of, it's a little bit more 
collaborative, it sounds like. Instead of here's a thing, here's a program to cooperate with and here's how you do it, you're, you're reaching out and you're saying, what are you interested in? Where are you in your life and faith? Uh, where, how can we help you in your journey? I mean, it's a relational transaction that mm-hmm. instead of this, like you said, just an organizational transaction, it, it, you know, sign the dotted line and, and then you're in. It's more about, it's almost maybe one way to put it is it's a little bit more custom approach to each person and saying, where, yeah. what's, what's your step? Where are you? And what um, this guy, um, Joseph Myers, I don't know if you guys read any of his stuff, but he's, he wrote this book called Organic Community. He's mm-hmm. talking about the, the shift from a, a, a cooperate with us model because we've created a bunch of stuff for you to yeah. get engaged with and into a more collaborative model where we walk alongside people to help them connect where, where they are, what's natural for them. And within the context of, of a plan and, and things, but right. it's more, it's more relational that way. So it sounds like you guys have captured something that um, would be something we'd hope happens in the life of the church anyway. So right. good job. Sounds great. Thanks. Yeah, no, it, we are, it's, it's, it's culture change, right? It's slow. Um, and you see kind of the, like you see the outcome, it, outcome of it over time, over a long period of time. Um, and it's, I think it's just like a cultural shift in terms of the church, a church, especially like Fifth Ave, that used to have no problem getting members. Um, are we going to just continue to expect people to really want to join um, or are we going to adapt? Because we could either be really annoyed or mad or sad about it, or we could be like, hey, like the church is not the, you know, the power institution that it used to be. We're having to say, meet, yeah, we're having to meet people on their terms instead of being like, yeah, this is how we do things. Join or not, we don't care. Um, that's just not the case anymore. And that, that's a, I feel like that's a good thing. It's like the, you know, the Diana Butler Bass, like, you know, changing it from the whole, what's hers? Believing, behaving, belonging to belonging, behaving, believing. Have you guys, that whole, like the ordering of things. Um, And so, yeah, we're trying to embrace that um, at every turn. Uh, But it's it's work too, but good work. Yeah. Well, it sounds like just from what you're saying too, the soft metrics of people hanging out after the service and the hum of conversation, those things might not be showing up on the bottom line right away as far right. as total attendance or giving or those kinds of things that keep us up at night, maybe as pastors, but that's an indication of a morale or maybe a momentum or a healthiness in the community yeah. that sometimes we dismiss, or at least Jason, and I know you and I, we struggle with that. We, we're, we're going through the slog of change and the grind of ministry yeah. and we, we miss out on that sort of the evidence that it's working along the way. So. Yeah. And even hard metric though, um, I, I wouldn't say that it's like, so one of the the issue, one of the challenges the church is a church in the city faces is people leave the city. It's a revolving door, right? So we lose pledgers, donors constantly, and so we're having to, you know, find new ones. But I will say the hard slash soft slash hard metric that this new approach is um, is impacting is we don't have to chase after the pledges as much anymore. So it's not like all of a sudden, you know, our revenue has doubled. I'm not saying that, but it has drastically decreased the work it takes for the pastors to be going out and saying, hey, man, hey, lady, can you pledge or can you fulfill your pledge? People are just more like tuned in and engaged. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Charlene. 
It's been so good talking to you. I, I know, it, so again, fun. Way, way too long. Um, I know folks may want to uh, have some questions for you and want to continue the conversation. What are some ways people can find you? So <laughs> you had um, actually sent me that question. You know, I, I feel like I don't know how to feel about my answer to this question. So I actually deleted Facebook. Um, that's okay. You're allowed. Yeah, I'm allowed to do that, right? And, and that's, gosh, have another podcast on this. And I can't wait to tune in for this one. And the social media presence of, of pastors, church leaders, all that kind of stuff. Um, because I definitely remember like starting out in this gig feeling like, man, I need to have a social media presence. Um, but it has to be a very tightly curated media presence that represents my pastoral self, but like, Oh, let's be like a little vulnerable. So people feel like I'm relatable and all this stuff. <laughs> um, and it just felt like work. Um, and, um, in term, it's a conversation about boundaries too, because there were things that I just wanted to really keep sacred. Um, and that's just the, t- especially my time with my family. Um, so I, I'm off Facebook. And I, I guess I technically still have an Instagram account, but it has been dormant since last Lent when I gave up Instagram <laughs> and I haven't gone back. Nice. Um, and I also have a dormant Twitter account. So I could hand out the handles for all of those and it would be a complete waste of time, but I'm always open to questions. Um, just log on to our website. We have we have an awesome new website. I will say that if, if churches have any capital to invest in, in growth, it is the website. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it just, it just is. Um, and so we've invested a lot in our website and I, there's, you can contact me through our website, um, and learn more about our ministries and what we're doing and, you know, read the stories, watch the videos, all that kind of stuff. So I would say that's the best way. So can I send you a telegraph? Yes. A carry, uh, a pigeon. Right. Okay. Good. Um, with a little, um, I wonder why I haven't seen her in 10 years. (laughs) I know. gosh. Look, it's, it's a, it's, it's, and I'm sure you've already had, um, you know, discussions or podcasts on this and I, I want to listen to those, but it's like sustainability, it's boundaries, it's identities, all that stuff. And the social Um, media thing was just throwing me off. To me, it sounds way too healthy. It it really does. It sounds extremely healthy. Something that us pastors ought to think, uh, more about. So Thank you so much for being on. And Thank you for uh, having me. it's an honor. I love what you guys are doing. It is such a necessary service to, to pastors, to church leaders. So you guys are awesome. I'm sure you guys are hearing it constantly, but let, let me just add to the noise and say that you guys are awesome. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah, we'll take everything. We can. <laughs> hey, Charlie, thanks. thanks so much. And uh, say hey to those kids for us uh, and enjoy the rest of your day out there in the big city. All right. Thank you guys too. Well, Jason, so glad to have uh, Charlene on with us and uh, just cool to hear her story and her journey from, you know, her time in seminary to kind of finding her way into Fifth Avenue Press and how, uh, how she's been working there in different roles and capacities. And this latest one, her role as executive pastor, uh, is one of those that you, as I kind of listen in, I, I think it's what we all know as churches and church leaders that we need highly capable reliable follow through kind of people in positions like this because it reflects what something we, we talked about in, in, in the in the show we that this is as this infrastructure and the administration is every bit as much ministry 
as the sermons we preach on Sunday. And that there are times if we're not careful that the organizational life of the church can seem sort of like an ancillary thing or like a necessary evil, or maybe we, there's a dark side to the church. We hope nobody finds out about in the administrative world. But if we have healthy, capable people there to, to support us and, and to, to work alongside and teammate team up with, um, with us that that can just go so far into the overall health of, in the life of the church. And so that's a little bit for me. I go, man, wouldn't be amazing because it's not something we have as a role right now at Marine View. And so anyway, grateful for that. I was also reflecting just on, um, as I was thinking about it, it related to a conversation we had with a, a previous guest, Tony Morgan in, in his book on the unstuck church. And he talks about an appropriate, what he calls span of control how much can one person really manage all at once? How many people, how many teams, how many you know committees or whatever it is? And he makes the kind of the case that in a lot of churches, the senior pastor or the pastor has just too many things to manage effectively. And how if you're going to grow, you need to hand some of those things off to other really capable people. So really grateful for her insight and just the conversation we had today. Absolutely. And I love talking with pastors because I feel like I don't have to explain where I'm coming oh, for from. For sure, right? You know, yeah. It's like, yeah. uh, but interestingly, you know, maybe a misconception that I had was that ministry life in the city was so vastly different than ministry life here in the suburbs. Sure. Uh, and technically where I am, the suburbs of the of the city, we really are a bedroom community for New York City. Um, but, but they're the same. It, it's the same issues. Uh, that surprised me a little bit, to be honest. I was expecting... I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting to be so much uh, the same, the same issues yeah. that we Yeah, the same challenges we face um, organizationally. Some of the tactics or strategies may be different. And it sounds like, you know, she was kind of diving deep into their world there and what people's availability is and, you know, kind of their things. But the challenges, the problems are kind of the same. They maybe just take a little bit different shape or form. And so, yeah, there's no... Um, yeah, secret thing happening in the city that apparently that we didn't know about. So that's, you know, I guess good news for us out here in the sticks. I don't know. But. Well, I think it, it reminds you that, you know, you have to do ministry for your zip code. You have to do ministry as it is, as it is needed in your own community. And, you know, one of the things that happens we talk about often is that, you know, you take ideas from other people and you try to implement them exactly the same and they don't quite work as well because, they're not in your zip code. So how do you take the principles behind those things right. and translate yeah. it? Yeah, exactly right. If I try to take all the great things you're doing at Tower Hill and just transport them here to Northeast Tacoma, it, <laughs> a few <laughs> of them might work or something. People would be a little confused probably and wondering what it's all about. So yeah, take take the concepts and ideas and apply them to your, your particular situation. But anyway, so um, where are we heading next, Jason? And uh, we're talking shop, talking management. Um, a friend of mine, Bill Palmer, is going to be with us. He is uh, uh, the principal at Palmer and Associates, and he's a, a leadership consultant. Has worked with churches and organizations, and is actually the, a former CEO of a grocery store chain here in the Pacific Northwest. And so he's going to be sharing primarily out of the, the management, sort of the HR personnel management side of things, and some of the things that we can do to be more effective as pastors in that regard. It's one of those things. I'm excited for this one. Oh man, I tell you, Jason, if if we could just have some Bill Palmers and Dan Rylands and people like that, <laughs> oh, it would make all the difference. So we want to get that stuff right and do it well and effectively. And he uh, he's going to help us think about what does it take to create a great staff culture um, with some basic, really practical practices. So looking forward to that conversation next time around. 
All right. Well, until then, I hope that this has helped you to lead change without losing your roots. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 